and welcome back to EM Pulse. And also to Kids Considered. <laughs> this is a crossover podcast between sister podcast EM Pulse and Kids Considered. Hi, I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. I'm the host of Kids Considered, a podcast aimed at looking at all sorts of medical issues of interest to parents. And I am Dr. Julia Magania, a parent who listens to that podcast and also the host of Impulse. Impulse is a podcast that uses stories to understand the science of emergency medicine. And we're celebrating a shared interest in COVID vaccines for children. Because we are both dedicated to getting the word out, we are posting this podcast to both of our feeds. And since Dr. Dean Blumberg is a pediatric infectious disease doctor, in addition to podcast host, he's going to give us all the information we need to know to advocate for our patients and also for our loved ones. So let's get started. <laughs> today is November 3 and it is 1.17 p.m. And today is an exciting day because... We have good news on kids' vaccine. Dean, tell us what is our good news. Yeah, so last week the FDA approved the Pfizer vaccine for children 5 to 11 years of age under the emergency use authorization. And this week, yesterday, the CDC um, approved it for use and have guidelines for recommending it for all children 5 to 11 years of age. This was super exciting news in our house. It went out across all of my platforms within my family. We are very excited. We've been waiting for this moment. One of the concerns that I hear people talking about is that COVID disease process is less significant in kids and there's less, we all know there's less children dying from COVID. Why is vaccinating our children important? So we have all heard the stories, right, that everybody's talking about since this started. It's the elderly. We need to make sure that they get vaccinated. And we've done a great job. So those over 65 years of age, the vaccination rate is over 90% in the U.S. But that doesn't mean that kids have no risk, even though they're lower risk of disease and lower risk of serious disease. Um, among the 6 to 11-year-olds, there's been 1.9 million infections in the U.S., more than 8,000 hospitalizations, and 94 kids have died in this age group. That makes it the tied for the eighth leading cause of death over the past year for 6 to 11-year-olds. So I wouldn't want to take my chances with COVID. Let's talk about the vaccine itself. How is the vaccine different for kids 5 to 11? versus the adults and the older kids? So the vaccine manufacturer wanted to look to see what the best dose was. So for children, they have more robust immune responses. So it's often true that lower doses of the vaccines are needed compared to older children and adults. So the sweet spot was one-third the older children and adult dose, 10 micrograms per dose, and that resulted in robust immune responses and less side effects compared to older children and adults. So it was well tolerated. Um, it's given on the same schedule as the older children and adults. So it's two doses, 21 days apart. Yeah, that's really helpful. So talk to us a little bit in broad terms about the process of how this got approved and what they found. So first there were the dose ranging studies to make sure that the dose was appropriate. And then they went forward with the studies that was recommended by the FDA for approval. And so this study um, enrolled 
2,218 subjects. So 1518 were in the vaccine group and 750 in the placebo group. And then they had another more than 3,000 kids just in a safety group. And so they um, looked at the children in terms of the safety, in terms of the immunogenicity, and then also in terms of the vaccine effectiveness. And it was well tolerated. The um, side effects were similar compared to the older children and adults. Um, a lot of the side effects occurred less frequently with the children. So fever, um, fatigue, headache occurred less frequently with the children. Um, so it seemed to be better tolerated. And then the immune responses were similar. So it looked like it was going to be effective. And then they actually did the effectiveness studies. And um, in terms of having symptomatic covid um, the vaccine was 91% effective in preventing symptomatic COVID. The side effects that we're looking for potentially are very rare, like myocarditis is the big one that everybody's scared about, right? And even long COVID is not as frequent as it is in adults. What is myocarditis and why should people be afraid about that? So myocarditis is inflammation of the heart and also pericarditis is inflammation of the lining of the heart. And really, anything that involves the heart is really concerning. Um, it often presents with um, chest pain, and the myocarditis that occurs following vaccination um, usually is two to four days later. It's generally after the second dose, and it's more common in young males. So um, 12 to 15-year-olds is where we see the highest rate of myocarditis following vaccination. And we often see myocarditis in that age group outside for other causes as well. Right. So there can be other causes of myocarditis, including COVID, for example, and those cases tend to be quite severe. The cases following vaccination tend to be relatively mild. Um, the children recover very quickly. I've seen several of these cases myself. We give them anti-inflammatories, and they're generally out of the hospital in a day or two. Yeah, that's really good to know. Was this enough patients to be able to look for myocarditis as a side effect? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so myocarditis is extraordinarily rare following immunizations. There is an increased signal, so there's more myocarditis following vaccination than the background rate. So let me throw some numbers out there. So the background rate of myocarditis for older kids, for 15 to 18-year-olds, is 10 to 20 cases per million. For following COVID vaccine, it's somewhere between 2 and 70 per million vaccine doses. So it's a pretty wide range, but it's not that common. But it's really scary, so it's important to put that into perspective. If you look at um, myocarditis following COVID infection, it occurs 100 times more, 100 times higher rate compared to following vaccination. And then for MIS-C, the multisystem inflammatory syndrome in children, the rate is 1,000 times more. So put into perspective, the FDA and the CDC did robust risk-benefit analyses, and it's clear that the safest thing for children is to be vaccinated, and that will decrease their overall risk of myocarditis. So 2,200 patients doesn't sound like a ton when we're looking for these rare events. Do you think that that's enough patients to have looked at to be able to make these types of decisions? Do we feel like those risks are understood well enough? And are there more studies that are going to come out to give us more information? Well, of course, there'll be more studies, but we do have robust safety information in older children and adults. Remember, in the U.S., more than 400 million vaccine doses have been administered, and worldwide, more than 6.7 billion doses of vaccine doses have been administered. So 
I feel very comfortable that we've got a lot of safety data and there were no unusual signals in this age group. So I feel very comfortable going forward with this age group. That's really helpful for me as a parent who's been excited about that. Um, So you mentioned side effects about fever, headache, body chills, and I've heard that sore muscle is the most common side effect and probably the most, (laughs) makes the most amount of sense. And you said it was less than in adults. Um, My 10-year-old wants to know, he asked me to ask you, should he get the next day of school off? Should he plan for the next day off? (laughs) Well, that's a really nice try. Very creative. (laughs) But, um, you know, what I wouldn't do is get the vaccine like the day before a big test or something because he might not be feeling well that next day. But for a regular school day, you can see how it goes. Some people are going to be like bowled over and need to stay in bed the next day. But Most people will be just fine with a sore arm and maybe not feel like they have quite as much energy. And a lot of these side effects do respond very well to anti-inflammatories. So to acetaminophen, to ibuprofen, or others respond very well to that. Things like headache responds very well to that, and the fever, of course, does too. Perfect. So that's your recommendation. If people are having those symptoms, it's okay to use Tylenol or acetaminophen and ibuprofen. Yeah, it's important to do that once those symptoms develop afterwards, but don't give those prophylactically because there's some theoretical reasons to think that that might blunt the immune response. Tell us a little bit about what are the next steps now that we have that approval. You know, it should be available now because um, in anticipation of this, the federal government had been shipping vaccine to sites across the country. So this should be available now for people to get. And where should people go to be able to get those vaccines? What are you recommending? Well, depending what state you're in, there'll be a vaccine finder. And so use that vaccine finder website to look for that. But for this vaccine, it's a little bit different compared to the older children and adults in that there's a concerted effort to involve pediatricians and family practitioners, other primary care providers, because we know that parents are going to be more comfortable getting the vaccine for the younger children at that site rather than for older children and adults more used to the school clinics or pharmacies or these mass vaccination sites. Um, Okay, so you mentioned the rollout is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a lot more office-based instead of mass groups. Are we better prepared this time around for little kids for the mass rollout? Like, Do you think this is going to be a successful rollout? I hope so. There's been a lot of communication to pediatricians and others who take care of children. So hopefully they'll be able to communicate well with parents and answer parents' questions. We understand that parents are going to have a lot of questions, and a lot of these questions are going to be individual questions. So, for example, questions that you and I aren't going to get to today when we're discussing it because people have heard a lot of different things, and there is a lot of vaccine hesitancy out there. So We do encourage parents to talk with their healthcare providers for any questions that they have. And what are some good resources that clinicians or parents can go to to get their questions answered about those concerns that they have? Yeah, I found that the American Academy of Pediatrics website is excellent for pediatricians, for parents, the Healthy Children website, which is um, run by American Academy of Pediatrics. And they tend to be Um, more definitive um, and less wishy-washy than, for example, the CDC website. So the CDC website has excellent information, but they're very, very careful. And so sometimes you don't get like a, a real answer to your question there. 
Yeah, I've been getting the emails from AAP that they're doing seminars and webinars and all kinds of resources that are available. I'm excited about the push that they've been working on. Okay, what about kids less than five years of age? When should we expect a vaccine for them? So there's studies ongoing in that age group also. There's two cohorts that they're looking at. There's two to four-year-olds and then six months to 23 months of age. I've heard that those studies look promising. I haven't seen any data. The manufacturers have said that they're going to expect data to be reported maybe next month or maybe the first quarter of 2022. So more to follow. Yeah, that's awesome. Dean, anything else you think we should know about COVID vaccines and kids? One question I often get from parents is, well, my kid had COVID and maybe immunity following infection is even better. And there's some really excellent studies that are just coming out now that are showing that the immunity that you get following vaccination is at least 50% better than the immunity you get from COVID and will likely protect a child for longer. Um, We also know that long COVID does occur in kids, but it's less common in kids compared to adults, about 50% less. So decreasing your child's risk of getting COVID will decrease their risk of getting long COVID. And that can be really debilitating for children, causing them to miss school and other learning opportunities. Do you anticipate there's going to be a need for a booster? Well, I don't think immunity is going to last forever with vaccination. My question is, do we need a booster to prevent serious infection or just symptomatic mild outpatient infection? I think we can learn to live with periodic infections, having mild infection where a child might miss a few days of school or work. We take that risk every year with influenza where we get breakthrough infections that are generally mild. What we don't want to risk is breakthrough infections that result in hospitalization, more serious infection. And so far, at least in adults, for most adults less than 65 years of age without serious underlying conditions predisposing them to severe infection, the immunity seems to be um, sustained in terms of preventing that serious infection. So we're just going to have to see. I I don't know that we're really going to have the appetite for boosters every six months or maybe not every year with COVID, but we'll just see if we need them or not. Well, I'm convinced. Kiddos, roll up your arms. You're getting vaccines. (laughs) And we're going to go out and celebrate. This is super exciting. Thank you, Dean, for taking time to talk with us. Thank you. 